Our third reading is from Luke 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own home to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We're going to spend some time looking at that passage in Luke, uh, focusing particularly on uh, the central verse there of the angel's song. Let me pray, though, as we begin. We're told at the end of that reading that Mary treasured these things in her heart. Lord God, as we look once more at your word this evening, would your word be to us a treasure? Would you speak to us by your spirit and help us to see what your son came to do and trust in him? In his name we pray. Amen. Peace. Peace is something that we long for. 
We long for it on a global scale. We long for it in our communities and in our families and in our own hearts. And yet the world in which we live finds peace to be a rare commodity. We find that we live in a world of trouble. The 20th century, with its world wars, was the bloodiest in history. And the 21st century, though it may have gone off our consciousness for a little while over these last few months, is the scene of many a conflict between nations. Likewise, our communities. Think back a few months to the protests that we saw on our streets. Or just think about the hostility that you see on social media each and every day. Communities we wish were peaceful are so frequently stirred by conflict. And what about our families and our homes? Well, if you're anything like me, we're very good at pretending that our homes are full of peace. But we know just how often that's not the case. Just try playing a game of Monopoly over Christmas and you'll soon find out that a scene of peace and tranquility can become a battleground. And these things are so frustrating for us. We think, why can't we just get along? Of course, board game disputes are just pretty minor things, really. But I have a friend who works for the Met Police in London. And he tells me that Christmas Day is the one day of the year when they have more call-outs for domestic issues than any other. Why? Because the families have come together. Of all places, peace should be there in our families, but so often there's trouble. And then what about our own hearts? Well, we have this sense of restlessness, of anxiety, of anguish, a sense that all is not right. And perhaps over this last year, we felt that even more keenly than we normally do. Our hearts are troubled. Sometimes we know why they're troubled. We can point, put our finger on exactly why we're troubled. But at other times, we just don't know why, but we are. We long for peace. If only there was a way to have real, lasting peace in this troubled world. Well, the claim of the Bible is that this is possible. And the story of Christmas is where it begins. Now, the hope for peace in this world is not a new hope. At the time of the birth of Jesus, after a long period of war and strife, there was a great hope for peace and salvation for the world. And it was found in a great man whose name was Caesar Augustus. Our passage from the Gospel of Luke begins like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar ruled, of course, over a vast empire that had been conquered by force. 
But at this time, the battles had largely been fought and won. And in the empire, there was this new idea, an idea of peace. It was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And the idea was that under Roman rule, all these nations would would find a peace that, that covered them all, that it would reign from one end of the world to the other. But there's a problem. To keep that peace, Caesar needed money. He needed money to spend on the glory of his palaces, but he also needed money to keep his armies in the field. Because, somewhat hypocritically, this peace was kept only by the threat of brutal force. And so what happens is some government official back in an office in Rome somewhere suggests to the emperor, it would be a really good idea if we streamline the tax system. And this is how the Christmas story begins, with taxes. Could there be a more boring beginning? Apologies if there's anyone who works in HMRC here. The great Roman emperor, he orders a census. The reason why you order a census is to find out how many people live in your empire and therefore how much tax you can expect to bring in. And taxes haven't changed. People still resent them. They're still a big hassle to sort out. And for the couple in our story, for Mary and Joseph, it's a bigger hassle than it normally would be any other year. Not only do they have to travel the 90 or so miles to Bethlehem, to Joseph's hometown, that would take about a week to walk there. Not only that, but Mary is about ready to have a baby. And it turns out when they get there that there's no room for them to stay. So they make do and they find a bit of shelter, a stable or a cave. And it's there that Mary gives birth to her baby boy. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's our opening scene. And then Luke switches scenes and he takes us to the hillside outside of the town. And you can imagine it, can't you? It's night time and there are a few men sitting around. They're shepherds. These are ordinary working class blokes. Spend long hours in the fields with their flocks. Maybe they're just sitting down for the night around the campfire. They're having something to eat. They're chatting together, complaining about the cold telling a few sheep-related gags, things like that, just as they normally do, just as they do every night. And actually, this really does continue the theme that these things are just ordinary things, just the ordinary things of life, people going on journeys, people working, people paying taxes, people having babies. But then things are about to get extraordinary an angel appears before them. And listen to what the angel declares about the baby that's been born. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, one angel can announce the good news about Jesus, but it seems that it's not enough for one angel to respond to that news. 
as the host of heaven hears the great news about Jesus declared, an army of angels breaks into this world to respond with a song of praise for what it means. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Now there's a contrast here that Luke has painted for us. Caesar Augustus claimed to be this glorious, godlike king who would save the world. Roman propaganda said that he was the great hope for peace in this world. And yet his glory and his peace has been a false one. It's been manufactured by violence and by money. And now into an obscure backwater of his empire comes a defenceless baby to a poor family who are at the whim of that emperor. The angel's song tells us that this baby will reign with a glory that outstrips him and a peace that is far deeper and greater than his could ever be. What does the birth of this baby mean? It means that glory goes up and peace comes down. First, it means that glory goes up. Glory to God in the highest heaven. The coming of the Lord Jesus as Saviour and Messiah is a great display of God's glory. God the Son coming to earth being made in human likeness, living and teaching God's truth, and then dying as a substitute for sinners and rising from death to break death's power. The angels see the announcement of this baby as a declaration of the glory of God to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals to us just how wonderful and majestic and loving and just and holy and merciful God truly is. The angels know it. They've known it for eternity. And now through their song, they make it known to us. Glory to God in the highest heaven. But just as glory goes up to God, the birth of this baby means that peace comes down into this troubled world. On earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Let's ask two questions. Number one, what kind of peace will this baby bring? And number two, to whom does that peace come? And we'll take that second question first. To whom does the peace come? The peace comes, we are told, to those on whom his favour rests. Not to everyone. The peace comes to all who will receive this child with faith. The shepherds are such people. God has chosen them to reveal his son to. They go to visit and they're amazed at what they see. And they return through the streets telling everyone about Jesus, glorifying and praising God. Those who will believe the good news 
and receive Jesus gladly by faith will experience this peace of God. For it is they on whom his favour, his grace, has rested. That's who receives it. But here's our other question. What kind of peace will this baby bring? Well, the way that the the Bible speaks about this peace is threefold. The birth of this baby will mean peace with God, peace within, and therefore peace with each other. Peace with God, peace within, and therefore peace with each other. First, peace with God. The testimony of the Bible is that the source of all the trouble in this world is our rebellion against our Creator, our sin. That we're in conflict with God, that His wrath is against us, that we're His enemies, and that one day we will face His eternal judgment. But God loves us, and so He sends Jesus as the solution to this problem. This baby would, of course, grow up to become a man. And around 33 years later, on another hill outside a city, not Bethlehem, but Jerusalem this time, Jesus Christ dies on a Roman cross. As he dies, he is suffering God's wrath against himself. Not for his sin, but for our sin, for our rebellion against God. He pays the penalty for us. At the cross, Jesus brings to an end the hostility between God and us. Where there was war with God, now there is peace. When we repent of our sins and surrender to him, when we confess that he is Lord of our lives, an accord is made between us and God. We are reconciled to him. Jesus brings peace to those on whom his favour rests. Now this peace with God that, that Christ achieves, it in turn brings us peace within. The peace of God is given to us. It fills our hearts Later on in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we read of a story of a dinner party. A woman comes to meet Jesus during this party, and she comes to him conscious of her sin, so conscious, in fact, that she is weeping over it. And everyone there despises her, they think she's an embarrassment, but Jesus is gracious to her. At the end of this encounter, this is what he says, it's in Luke chapter 7. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests at the party began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. If we come to Jesus in faith, repenting of our sin, we receive forgiveness And that allows us then to go in peace, 
to have peace within our own hearts. All the guilt and the anxiety and the fear and the shame and the anger, they all begin to be replaced by a peace that passes understanding. As we learn to trust Jesus, we experience this to ever-increasing degrees. And the effect of that is that that peace within starts to then flow out to others. As we understand the peace with God made for us by Christ, as we start to experience the peace of God within our own hearts, then it starts to transform our relationships with others. We start to experience peace with others, especially those who have also received the same grace that we have from Christ. We learn to love others. We learn to end hostility with others. We become peacemakers in our families and in our communities and in our world. And this transforming peace is what gives hope to a troubled world. One day, the peace that Christ brings will come finally and fully One day Jesus will return, and when he does, the angels will appear once more and will sing again, and those who reject him will experience his judgment because he's still at war with them. But the experience of those who have trusted in Jesus now, who have received him, will be glorious as they will live in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more conflict and no more trouble. This is what the prophet Micah spoke of. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The birth of Jesus means that glory goes up and peace comes down. And it continues to do so wherever Christ is received by faith. May we experience that peace this Christmas time. And may he get the glory. Let's pray. We're about to hear these words sung to us. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Our Father, we thank you for the sending of your Son into this world to bring you glory and to bring us peace through the cross, that reconciliation that we need between us and you, forgiveness of sins and a newfound sense of peace and that everything is okay in our own hearts. We thank you for what you've done through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.